Hello everyone, welcome to episode 1 of the C4 podcast. This is your host, Selena. In this podcast, we talk about crime cases and we also have caffeinated conversations. My caffeine of choice today is cold brew with a splash of natural heavy cream. And that's only because I'm really trying to lower my sugar intake. If not, I would probably be having a latte with a whole bunch of caramel drizzle and some vanilla sweet cold foam. But I mean, caffeine is caffeine and I'm thankful for mine today. With that being said, today's episode will be a heavy one. So my co-host has something to say. Trigger warning. This episode contains stories about rape and sexual assault of children. Please leave this episode if you are under the age of 17. This podcast channel is intended for mature audiences. The names of all survivors have been changed to protect their identities. I would also like to share with you all the sources that we used to gather this information for this episode. Wikipedia. BBC Global Crime Report. The Washington Post.com. CaseFilesPodcast.com. NewYorkTimes.com. TheGuardian.com. The Telegraph. And the Wonderland Club Documentary. Greenfield. It is a small California town located in South Monterey County. It is a quiet town, a town surrounded by fields. Some people call it the broccoli capital of the world. Not much happens here. The biggest event in town is the annual harvest festival. Approximately 19,000 people live here today. And although you might think that's a small amount, the population used to be even smaller but it has been growing over the years. Our story begins in the mid-90s. Greenfield had a population of about 7,000 residents. Everyone in town was familiar with each other and trusted one another. People say it was a nice, quiet town to settle down in and maybe even start a family. The town was safe and the crime rate was very low and some even say it was okay to leave your door unlocked at night Now, I don't know about you, but I don't care if I'm in the safest place in America. My doors are locked because you just, like, never know. Maddie was a happy girl. She lived with her parents, Ronald and Leah Riva, and her two siblings. They all lived in a humble farmhouse outside of Greenfield's city limits. I actually did some deep internet searching and found the house that used to be their home. I drove by it and it is a secluded home in a community that is about 10 minutes outside of Greenfield. It is a small farmhouse with more than enough land for children to play. The Riva family was known as a good family. They were trusted people of Greenfield. Ronald was a truck driver and a former correctional officer, and Leah was a loving, caring mother. Leah and Ronald both were in their mid-thirties when their home became the hangout spot for their four children and their friends. Their daughter Maddie loved to host sleepover parties and invite her best friend, Allie, and other school girlfriends. Maddie's dad, Ronald, was unemployed but seemed to enjoy being a stay-at-home dad. He would watch the kids and their friends, and teach them all about computer games. Allie and Maddie 
The two had the best friendship. They were inseparable. They spent a lot of time together at school, soccer practice, and at sleepovers. Ellie's mom, Shayla, had been noticing that her daughter would come home from Maddie's house in a bad mood. One morning, Shayla told Ellie, if you keep acting like that, you will no longer be allowed to go to Maddie's house. Ellie responded with, this has nothing to do with Maddie. Shayla had assumed that her daughter's behavior was because she wanted to stay at Maddie's house longer. And I can kind of relate to this because I remember when I was a kid, I would be at my cousin's house playing all day and when, and when it was time to come home, I would be super annoyed because I just wasn't having fun anymore. I think it's just things that kids do and Shayla probably just assumed her daughter was being bratty. The date was April 8, 1996. It was a sunny spring day at around 4 p.m. Shayla received a call from Maddie's mom, Leah. The two mothers were only connected through their daughters. So she knew the phone call was about Allie and Maddie. Leah called to tell Shayla some bad news. Leah revealed that her husband, Ronald Riva, had just been arrested for child molestation. The crime that led to his arrest happened during the last weekend of March in 1996 when Maddie hosted a sleepover party at her house. It has been said that this sleepover party was at her father's suggestion. The girls at the sleepover party were Allie, Elsie, and Miranda. Elsie was eight years old and Miranda was six. They were sisters. Elsie and Miranda were picked up by their mom at the Riva's home the next morning. Riva invited them to stay another night at his home, but their mother declined. She said she had planned a beach day for her daughters the next day and wanted some family time. As their family began preparing for their beach trip the next morning, Miranda suddenly told her mom that Ronald Riva had inappropriately touched her. And right after that, Elsie shared with them the news that she had also been molested by him. But Elsie also confessed that the molestation had been happening for over a year now. The girl's mother was in a state of shock. She thought only good things about the Riva family. They were nice, caring, loving, church-going people of Greenfield. She trusted Ronald with the girls. She had no clue that they were in danger in his care. Little Elsie told her mother, I thought Ron was my friend, but he lied. Thankfully, their mother believed them. And I say thankfully because I have heard some things where uh, parents don't believe their children because they don't think that they know what they're talking about. But trust kids, they tell the truth. Why would they lie about something like this? The girl's mother reported the abuse to the police. Ronald Riva was soon arrested, and before the arrest, he had a clean background, no prior problems with the law. He seemed like a good citizen, but he had everyone fooled. He was nothing but a monster, an evil monster up to no good. After Leah disclosed her husband's arrest to Shayla, Leah suggested that Shayla talk to her daughter about the situation. She called and said, uh, I think... 
you should talk to your daughter to see if she's been a victim. I said, well, okay, I don't think so. You know, I mean, I'll let you know. I don't, I don't think so. And I honestly was just in such a scramble at that moment. It was, it was unfathomable to me that there could be anything to it. Shayla and Allie had a loving mother-daughter bond. Shayla assumed that her daughter would have told her if anything bad had happened to her during those sleepover nights. Shayla tried to be as calm as she could, but the conversation only seemed to upset Ellie. So we brought her in and talked with her, and she just crossed her little arms and said, Nope, 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 I'm not a victim. And I said, do you know what molestation is? Do you know what a victim is? Do you, you know, because at that point I was shooting from just a blank space. I didn't have a clue um, because we never think it's our child. Never. Although Allie denied being harmed by Riva, Shayla had a bad feeling about this. I was taking some clothes into her room and I found her curled up on her bed. And I knew, I knew at that moment. Shayla knew that monster had done evil things to her innocent daughter. Moments later, Shayla faced her fears. She was all ears for her 10-year-old daughter. She listened to the gruesome details about the abuse that Riva had put her through. Riva had been grooming Allie since she was 8 years old. It began with inappropriate touching and escalated to sexual abuse. Ronald had threatened Allie to stop her from telling anyone what he was doing to her. The morning after Allie revealed the truth to her mother, she and her husband went to report this to the police. Because the abuse happened outside of city limits, the investigation was handed off to Monterey County Sheriff's Department. They began investigating immediately. They began by interviewing all the children that were regular guests at the Riva residence. This case now had three victims, Allie, Elsie, and Miranda. They soon learned that Allie's abuse was much different. In the middle of the, the slumber party, she had been pulled out of the party and taken into uh, the computer room, and she was um, molested and, and violated and raped online as it was being broadcast. How could they do this? How could those two monsters do those disturbing things to that innocent girl? And on live? Like, what the f Detectives that were assigned this case had a warrant to search the home of Ronald Riva, and during the search, they seized and seized the computer from his home office. The FBI also helped out with this investigation. They helped unlock computer files. The discovery was horrid. Investigators found thousands of child porn images. They also found online chat rooms with conversations between Riva and other pedophiles. They seemed to have used two chat rooms to exchange child porn images. One of the chat rooms used was created by Riva. The private chat room members joined by invitation only. To be able to be part of this chat room, members had to vote on your acceptance or not and upon acceptance, they'd be given a password to enter the club. The infamous club that Riva created was called the Orchid Club. 
As secretive and mysterious as these pedophiles tried to be, they were noticed because Reva's computer automatically saved everything, so this meant that police had enough information and evidence about the members. There turned out to be 16 members in the Orchid Club. Reva worked with police to help put all members behind bars, but he only cooperated in exchange for leniency. Reva logged onto his chat room and gave police access to everything. Police had no words to describe what they found in these chat rooms and in Reva's files. It was a horrible thing. These pedophiles had exchanged thousands of child porn images and some of these members even produced the content themselves. Police also learned that these monsters would meet up to help each other film these horrid crimes. Remember earlier when I told you about Ali's story in the home office where Reva and another man abused her? Well, this other monster had a name. He was 54-year-old Milton Lee Myers, a truck driver of Santa Rosa. Myers had already been in prison in 1971 because he previously molested another child and he only served 60 days in for that crime. That's so devastating. Only 60 days for a crime involving a child molest oh my god i can't i can't what he should have served 60 years like what during the orchid club investigation police revealed that myers had failed to register as a sex offender for his first offense in 1971 whoa that's so wrong imagine finding out that your neighbor was arrested for child molestation for the second time and he wasn't even registered as a sex offender, so you didn't even know he was a sex offender in the first place? SMH. The people of Santa Rosa had no idea about his past. After his second arrest, police searched his home and found over 20 pornographic images. All of them were from children ages 2 to 12. Police reached out to the community in hopes that parents would come forward if their children had any contact with Myers in the past. In this home search, police also found a video of a conversation between Myers and four other Orchid Club members. In this conversation, these monsters talked about their crimes. During the arrest of Myers and these other four members in that video, all of them cooperated with police in exchange for leniency. They helped police identify all Orchid Club members. The members were spread all over the country and some even overseas. 11 of the members were from California, Oklahoma, Washington, Kansas, Illinois, Minnesota, Michigan, Mississippi, and the other three were from Canada, Finland, and Australia. During the search of Reva's computer, detectives also found a conversation between the club members, a conversation that had taken place a few days before the sleepover at the Reva's house. Club members expressed their excitement for what they called a pedo party. That was the weekend of Ali's assault. Her assault was broadcasted live to the club members and many of these members requested certain acts to be performed. This caused six of those men to be charged with joining and abetting in the sexual exploitation of a minor. According to Case Files podcast, this was the first time the internet was used to broadcast a live of a child molestation. In total, there was five victims that came forward claiming to have been abused by Riva. 
Riva faced up to 18 counts of various state and federal crimes with the possibility of life in prison. Because he exchanged cooperation for leniency, he was sentenced to 30 years in prison. According to California inmate locator, he did his first three years at Salinas Valley State Prison and then transferred to a substance abuse facility in Northern California. And as for Myers, he faced five counts of molestation and was sentenced to 125 years in prison for his state and federal charges. Between the club members, police had found over 50,000 images of child porn. All club members were charged with conspiracy to possess and distribute child pornography. Brave Ali testified in court. She is truly a hero because she spoke for children with no voice. Her whole family was distressed by this case and trial. Her mother resigned from her teaching job to be there for her daughter. And soon her father decided that they would move away and start fresh in a new city. The suffering doesn't end here. This story was only the beginning. As I mentioned earlier, there was two chats that were found on Riva's computer. One was the Orchid Club and the second one was named Wonderland Club. According to Wikipedia, the Wonderland Club was an international network of pedophiles that was created in 1995 by two Americans. It was a much bigger online pedophile ring that was exposed. And that is a crime case that I will have to tell another day. With the heavy heart, I acknowledge that even though this tragedy happened almost 30 years ago, it is still someone's trauma and those survivors are still out there. With that being said, my thoughts are with the children in this case who are now adults. I recognize how serious this crime was and I tell your story in hopes to spread awareness. Never trust anyone too much. People will always show you who they really are. And remember to always ask children questions. And this is not to blame parents at all. This is just so we can all look out for one another. Because there could always be a sicko next door. I end this episode with a quote my mom and probably every Mexican mother has said before. Uno nunca sabe. Thank you for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. If you or anyone you know is experiencing sexual abuse or sexual assault, you can get help by calling 1-800-657-4673 or you can use the hotline chat at hotline.rain.org. Oh